Hello, and welcome to EPR with your favorite environmental nerds, Nick and Laura. On today's episode, we give our shout outs. Nick and I discuss the importance of giving back to your community. We talk with Amanda Roberts at Avid Core about public engagement, marketing, and morale hunting, not moral hunting. <laughs> and finally, on this day in science in 1951 at 4.35 p.m., CBS aired the one-hour premiere of commercial color television with a program named Premiere. It was transmitted using the CBS field sequential system from New York to four other cities, Boston, Philadelphia, Baltimore, and Washington, D.C. Unfortunately, this system was a commercial failure because the picture quality was terrible. It wasn't compatible with the earlier black and white TV sets. And also it was on CBS. (laughs) Whatever that means. (laughs) Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Hit that music. Today's shout out goes to Jay Ramirez, the winner of NAP's 2021 Zerzo Student Award. Jay is active duty with the U.S. Coast Guard and currently is pursuing a master's degree in environmental policy and management from the American Public University System. Congrats. We're so proud of you. That's really awesome. Really great award. I'm really glad to share that with our audience today. Today's episode is also sponsored by Dawson. Uh, Dawson is a Native Hawaiian global business enterprise serving federal clients throughout construction, PTS, and environmental services. Operating worldwide, Dawson's Worldwide Headquarters is located in Honolulu, Hawaii, with offices across the United States. Rooted in traditional Hawaiian values of aloha, which is embodying humility, respect, and compassion for all, ohana, which is family, and Dawson carries forward a kuleana, which is responsibility, to benefit the Native Hawaiian community. Dawson's environmental branch brings science, solutions, and sustainability to planning, compliance, munitions, and remediation. With a permanent 8A status, Dawson is the perfect solution to all your business needs. Please visit www.dawsonohana.com for more. Also, please check out NAP's new Twitter page. It's really cool. I'm glad we have this. This is at uh, NAP Tweets. So uh, there should be more updates coming through that about what we're doing. And, you know, we're increasing our social media presence there. So it's a lot of fun. Really cool. So please do check us out again. NAP Tweets. So, yeah, really, really cool stuff. If you would like to sponsor a future episode, head on over to environmentalprofessionalsradio.com and check out our sponsor form for details. Let's get to our segment. I did actually, I also, on Friday, uh, <laughs> through all this chaos, on Friday, I gave a presentation to a bunch of middle school and early high school. Oh, nice. Um, I guess it was at a, a school for you know, disadvantaged kids, so in uh, you know, lower income less opportunity. So just kind of talking to them about what I did and, you know, how it was. And, uh, you know, it was through Dawson. Dawson was the one that, that they, they set it all up and it was really neat to just give back. I've done it before. It was, you know, a couple of companies that I've worked for have done it, that kind of thing, you know, giving back. And it's really, yeah. it's a really easy thing to do. Super, super easy. Did they um, get to ask you questions? Yes. And they were actually too good. And so, <laughs> I'm like, did you guys talk about this beforehand? They must have, right? Because they're like, what is your favorite policy, environmental policy, and <laughs> my why? Favorite policy? That's an and awesome question. And I'm like, question. oh my gosh, yeah, it, it blew me away. I'm like, what am I? How am I supposed to? Well, it's definitely NEPA, you know. And <laughs> oh man, it was just so. It was funny. They're actually doing an environmental policy 
report. So they all have to find one policy and write about it. And I was like, boy, oh boy, did you guys pick the right time to do this? My goodness, <laughs> everything is changing. <laughs> so good luck, you know, but it was really fun. It was really fun to do, really fun to give back. Oh, that's cool. I want to know what their favorite policies are. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they have any. I think they were asking me, not yeah, really, yeah. not really but wanting I would, an I would answer, love to know? give some kids a list of policies and say, which one of these is, which your, one favorite? is your favorite? <laughs> yeah. Which one of them has bugs in it or bunnies? You know, that's what it is. It's like a, can I pet a yeah, tiger? I would think you they'd know? be endangered species, I would hope. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I purposely didn't pick that one because I was like, that's too easy. We don't need to do, we don't need to do. <laughs> I'm going actual, you know, you want to talk policy? Let's do this. Um, <laughs> Real fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, like you're going to be you're going to be like Gary Kelman and you're going to have those kids that are that grow up and come back to you and say, I remember when you gave this talk. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. An environmental scientist because of you. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Like there is actually there's one person who's like that already. Right. When I, so I was in grad school, I had an intern help me out my for well, well, both years I was there with my project. And she to this day, she's like, I'm in this field because of you. And it's, it's always just a little condescending, which I like, you know, she's like, it's your fault I'm here. But yeah, it's a really good feeling to be like, yeah, okay. All right. I helped somebody find a career path. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, oh, I just so. had this flashback of uh, science class I took in high school, which mm-hmm. by the way, I didn't get interested in science till way, way after even my undergrad. So, <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, but I remember the thing that I remember is her bringing in octopus for us to eat. Oh, wow. And eat. Yeah. Um, so now I'm thinking, OK, I'm a vegetarian and I didn't get into <laughs> science for several years. So teachers listening out there, that's not a good plan. <laughs> We're here to protect the animals, not eat them. <laughs> that's funny. I, I was like, oh, they bought a live octopus and you could touch it. That's so cool. They, no, like, no, you, no. Here's some samples. OK, that's it. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> that's a harsh reality right there. Right. Why, why did they bring that in? Why was, was it just? Gosh, I couldn't tell you. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, seem it seems smart. counterintuitive to the whole thing. Looking yeah. in hindsight. <laughs> right, right. That was a different time, time you know, right? Yeah, it's a different but, time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To um, do some teacher education out there for those high schools. I do think that, you know, like you said, get us environmental professionals, working environmental professionals, getting into mm-hmm high school and middle school classrooms is a great place to be because then, you know, the teachers don't always know what their jobs are actually like. So, you know, you yeah. can't fault her for maybe she thought it was a great idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But yeah, I think us getting out there and helping teachers get to students at young age and tell them what the jobs are really like is, is important. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that you're thinking back, like, okay, what, what influenced me as a kid, you know, like, Growing up near the mountains, growing up with a creek in our backyard is, you know, is definitely helpful, right? Like that was something that that I thought of as really cool. And I love being there and love being part of that natural environment. But, you know, like the craziest thing, honestly, the thing that got me was the movie Free Willy. That's, that was it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm dating myself a bit there, but like, it just, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, whales are so cool. And, um... You know, like the harsh reality of what that industry is like now. We've seen, you know, Blackfin coming out and all that. But, you know, it it was weird because that was really, really pivotal for me. And I just became obsessed with animals from that point forward. And I really just kind of ran with it, you know. And, yeah, it's just, uh, it's it's interesting how those those things come together. And, you know, some people have mentors, you know, some people 
you know, <laughs> just get in. I don't know if I really ever had one, like one, like, you know, scientist mentor growing up, like when I was in middle school and high school, I was just good at science, you know? So I just kind of was like, okay, I'll keep doing this, I guess. And then, uh, yeah. So we could, I got to grad school and definitely had several and that was a lot of fun, but it was different, you know, I guess everybody's a little different. So you're going to get different ways. For sure. I mean, I grew up in suburbs and I, even in my, like I said, in undergrad, I, took natural sciences for non-majors and I failed. (laughs) (laughs) I just wasn't interested. Um, That had not been turned on yet. So it is, everyone has a different path for sure and and different things. Like, yeah, there was definitely no streams or anything in my Mm -hmm. backyard. There was down the street, a retention ditch (laughs) that that some of my friends decided to canoe through just to see where it would go right yeah (laughs) exactly the city (laughs) oh wow that's crazy and uh lots of it's like been restored now and stuff but that's cool yeah there's still a lot of birds they would catch fish in in that creek yeah but it was it was not like what was in your backyard i'm sure right well yeah you know but there's there's still some extreme value in that and maybe it's different and that's that's a good thing too but like uh it's funny though the kids did ask me like but yeah, they asked me like if I had to talk to people all the time at my job. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I said, you know, I, I you know, what I do, I have to talk to the public a lot. And they're like, well, do you have to be an environmental scientist and talk? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> so I just asked them, you know, it's like, well, if you're looking for species, do you have to do you have to have a, a long conversation with anybody? And like, no, no. It's like, OK, well, there you go. There are definitely parts of the job. There are definitely things that you can do where you don't have to do that. But it was really like super adorable question. You're like. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. You do not have to be, you don't have to have charisma. You don't have to have any of that. You just have to enjoy what you do. That's really it. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Cool. Let's get to our interview. All right. Hello there, listeners, and welcome back to EPR. Today, we are joined by Amanda Roberts, partner and chief marketing strategist for Avid Core, a woman in minority-owned strategic communications company. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do for AvidCore? So AvidCore was founded last year in 2020. And we, my business partner, Virginia Campbell Arroyo, had this vision of a minority-owned company that could really help organizations revamp their public engagement and outreach efforts. And so... It was something that had been in the works for a while. We launched in 2020 and then the pandemic happened. And the first thing we thought is, is this a good time to be going out on our own? And we did some research and we realized that it's never really a good time to launch a business or it's always a good time to launch a business. And you'd be surprised some of the the companies that have been successful that have been launched in recessions, like Uber was launched in the 2008 recession. And so, I mean, I'm optimistic that we will be successful. Already, we are working with organizations at the federal and local level, helping them revamp their communication strategies to reach the general public. And how this applies to your audience is that a lot of our work is environmentally focused. It's around NEPA processes, getting the public engaged in environmental outreach and helping, you know, helping organizations hear from the public about what they want in their projects. Awesome. That sounds like good work. And, and, you know, the challenge over 2020 and the changes that have happened, everyone is kind of revamping how they 
speak to the public and present themselves. So I could see the need for your company and the services that you provide. No, but it had to still have been a very scary time to start in 2020. How long had you been planning before that? And, you know, did you have some deciding factors, whether you were going to go or not go, or was it just like, this is the time and and now we're going to do it? Yeah. So this has been years in the making. And, you know, actually we, we, Virginia had clients telling her, you should go out on your own. You should start your own business. And then she approached me and, and we had been working together for about 15 years before we decided to, to go out on our own and form this entity. We started operating in January and we didn't publicly launch until April. We had all these plans for a big in-person launch and that had to be all scrapped. And, but in some ways, it's been a blessing in disguise because a lot of the things that might be a barrier to entry for a new business doesn't exist now. So we don't have to worry about the overhead of rent, right? So we never we never had office space. And yeah. so that's a huge commitment and you need funding for that. We don't have to worry about that. We also aren't investing in things that you would normally invest in as a new business. We're not printing a lot of things. We don't even have business cards yet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we don't meet people in person. Right. So, yeah. so a lot of those things that you might think is a challenge for a new business, we're not, we're not faced with in, in COVID times. Right. Um, and then we've learned that there are organizations out there that specialize in some of the HR administrative functions that we've, we work with. So we can focus on our technical expertise and they can help with the business operations piece. I guess the, the big message is that what I'm trying to say is if any of your listeners are thinking about starting their own business, I'm happy to, to talk to you about it. But also, it's something that you should seriously consider and don't let a pandemic stop you. <laughs> That's right. great you can advice. always consider it a challenge or an opportunity. Exactly. And uh, you touched on this a little bit, but you know, public engagement really is a pretty big component of the NEPA process. And it's also not always the first thing environmental professionals gravitate towards or want to do. So I'm uh, curious, like, where, your, where did your interest in public communications come from? Well, I've always been, uh, ever since really high school, I've always been wanting to be a part of the news, basically. I wanted to know what was going on. I was uh, part of my high school newspaper. In, in college, I studied uh, communications and outreach. And, and ever since then, I've worked in the communications and outreach field. I wanted to originally be a journalist. And then I saw kind of where the trends were going there. And I thought, <laughs> hey, instead of reporting the news, maybe I can help organizations become the news. And so I went into public relations, did a little bit of media relations, and then just being in the D.C. area, everything is government. So then my career kind of took a turn to focusing on federal agencies and helping them communicate with the general public. And I think when a lot of people go into the public relations field, they want to do the kind of work that I'm doing, which is getting the community involved, helping them helping organizations make decisions based on community input. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a good point. Like you have to wear, and you also have to wear quite a few hats, you know, uh, when you do work in communications, like you need to understand the nuances of the project almost as well as the PMs, if not better. You have to manage people on the project team and the public. And then you have to be really, really adaptable because no matter what your plan is, it can change. And so how do you balance all of that? Yeah, I think it takes lots of experience. And I was actually just having this conversation yesterday where a lot of people think communications is so intuitive. It's so easy. Like, I just need to tell people what I'm doing. Um, And it is, it's much more complex than that. You have to understand, you have to really get into your audience's mindset and understand how they like to receive information. You have to understand what resonates with them. Because you telling them in technical terms what you're trying to achieve will probably go, I mean, depending on who you're talking about, if if it's the general public, it may just go right over their head and it will not translate to something that they can actually take action on. But if you're talking to other environmental professionals, it's probably just fine. Right. And so knowing, knowing that piece and being able to pivot is really important. Yeah. It sounds like you do a lot of public speaking. Oh, <laughs> I don't. I, I help my clients do. <laughs> I help okay. my clients do. <laughs> do you have to prep them or help them at all? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, we just at Avidcore, we just launched a, a media training that is extremely helpful for talking to the media, but also just general public speaking. It focuses on how to be concise and get your messages across. And then also just little nuances of working with journalists and the media. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. I know there's a big need for it. I know like when we used to work in the field, we'd get approached by people and sometimes media and you're like, "Uh, I don't think I'm qualified to talk to you. (laughs) But people need to be trained on what to say when they are approached. Yeah. Yeah. And I've become experts at saying like, I'm not the person you should quote on that. You should talk to my client. (laughs) Right. So what does good public engagement look like? Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about this in relation to the 2021 Oscar nominees. My husband actually does a podcast as well. It's called The Cleverest Good Boys. And as part of that nice. podcast, he, he he watches all of the Oscar nominees. And so as his spouse, I am constantly exposed to all of the media that he is watching. Of course. And for me, watching these movies, it, I, I start to think about the parallels to the work that I'm doing. And it, it may not seem obvious some of the nominees here, like how does that relate to public involvement for environmental professionals? Um, <laughs> but I will, I will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one that came to mind was the Child Chicago Seven, and this movie is focused around the importance of having a safe place for protest and expression of First Amendment rights, and. Oftentimes, the environmental planning process is that space that the general public uses to express their support or opposition for a project. So you'll see often with the NEPA process and public comment that people rally around 
these public comment periods to either, you know, support or oppose the project. And we can see meetings become contentious and attract protest. And I've had a lot of experience working with agencies, helping them develop security plans to make sure that these, these public participation processes are safe for everyone involved and that everyone can participate safely. So, I mean, one of the things that we sometimes recommend if we know that there's a protest being organized around that process is that we, we actually suggest that the client reach out to protest organizers and just understand what they're planning, make sure that they have that space to communicate so things don't escalate and that things are, are coordinated so that they can have their, their time to express their First Amendment rights and that they're done so safely, but that also everyone can participate in the process, whether or not they agree with the people who are rallying. You know, I know that um, sometimes public meetings go off, no problem, whatever, but yeah, tell us some of your nightmares. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And actually they haven't been nightmares because we've had those plans in place, but we have had people come in chanting, asking for, you know, the trend in the recent years with public involvement, at least the public meetings have been this open house style meeting instead of the town hall style where, you know, you have three minutes at the mic, the open house style meeting, you have stations and people can go and then they write their comments or they orally tell that to somebody who's typing it out. And that's gotten a lot of opposition for people who want to grandstand. And we've had meetings where, you know, people will come in and start chanting, we want a hearing, we want a hearing. And in our experience, if we've let people do that, and then within like 10 minutes, usually it dies down, and then people just end up participating in the process, having conversations. There was one time where that did not happen, where the people were very savvy. They knew what our ground rules were. They knew that sound amplification devices were not allowed. They knew that there wasn't going to be a stage, but they brought in, they brought in a milk crate <laughs> into the meeting room. They had one person stand on top and then they did the people's mic. So people would, the person would talk and then everyone else would repeat what that person said. So it amplified that person's voice. Right. And they just cycled out uh, for actually several hours. And oh, wow. it was up to the government official to decide whether or not to shut it down. And they decided to let it proceed. And I think that was a little bit controversial with the staff because that was not part of the plan. However, I think it was everybody was safe and it did, you know, end peacefully. There's been no situation in which we've had to, while we've had security present, there's really been no situation in which meetings that I've participated in that we've had to have people escorted out or anything like that. Usually you just, you know, you pull the person aside and say, hey, you know, these are our ground rules. We really need you to be respectful of those ground rules or we're going to have to ask you to leave. And people want to be there. They want yeah. to make sure their voice is part of the process. So um, <laughs> yeah. they they listen. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's funny you say that, too, because, you know, when you have those kinds of projects where people are really, really passionate about it, which is not often, or but it does happen. And, you know, you get those 
I, you have to get, you know, tens of thousands of comments. I know, I know you have. And so, so what is a really effective strategy for handling that large volume of public interest? Well, you know, it's surprising and how that translates to in-person engagement. So I don't know if you're asking about how to handle like a large amount of comments, because that's one thing, but handling a large crowd is a completely different thing. And there's been situations in which we've had hundreds of people show up at public meetings. And then there's situations where you've had like two or three, you know, (laughs) Um, and I think it's just a matter of, you know, knowing what your topic is, monitoring what the public is saying about it. We knew we had a meeting down in North Carolina that I think had about 600 people. And it was open house style. So it was never in a situation where there was like a fire code violation or anything like that. We knew people were cycling in and out. Mm-hmm. And so everyone was able to participate. We did have a we did have a line at one point, but we had we had good participation and just, you know, good planning, make sure that everyone can participate in person. Now, when you're talking about lots of comments, you also need to have good processes in place and going now that the trend is over the last year to put everything online, that's getting a little bit easier to manage because there are really good technology and tools out there to help manage public comments. And some of them are off the shelf. You can just plug them into your your system. Other you know, other environmental organizations or firms, they have custom tools that they have built. And it's, so it's all very easy if it's done electronically. And so limiting, eliminating that handwritten or mailed comment has actually sped things up, even though it is a lot, it's still a lot to sort through and process and read. <laughs> That that part doesn't change. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, how do you handle getting access to people who don't have access to the internet and you know disabilities to be able to produce their comments as well? Yeah, that's another thing that relates back to the Oscar nominees. So there's there were two movies that were nominated that focused on disabilities. One of them was Crip Camp and that was about the the creation of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm-hmm. And the second was The Sound of Metal. And both of those have been, were really eye-opening to me as a public involvement professional to make sure that people are able to process the information that we're providing. You know, with American, the, with Crip Camp, they focused a lot on physical disabilities. So in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, are my meetings accessible? Can people with wheelchairs get there? Is it accessible by public transportation? And those kinds of things. And then with Sound of Metal, <laughs> this was one that it looks at a drummer who's lost a significant amount of hearing to the point that he was essentially deaf. And from that perspective, it made me think about how, you know, how you need to make sure that your information is accessible to everyone, even those invisible disabilities. 
Also, on a personal level, I used to date a guitarist in a metal band. So I've been to many metal shows and not worn a protective hearing. So I oh, you're in, you're I in good company totally here like, with that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I often wonder how I can still hear anything. I know. I know. I've got got one good ear, actually. Yeah. Have you had any projects where it started out like, you know, the mobs are angry and then ended peaceably? And then how, you know, what were the keys in making that transition? Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of the projects that we have where, where there is significant opposition to projects, it can be easy to make an issue black and white. And then it's really easy to oppose something. Um, But then when you get into the meeting room, you're having the conversations with the experts, and you're hearing kind of the challenges that you're working with, and everything that you're trying to balance in terms of development and making sure that there's not significant impacts to the environment. I think once people understand all of the nuances that you're working with, with that project, then you'll see like the light bulb go off and say, well, I still don't, I think there's better ways, but I get why you're doing it. You know, like I get that we need, you know, we need development, but maybe not this development. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And it's, yeah, I think you'll never get 100% uh, uh, satisfaction from the public. It's impossible to do. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's a really good point. Uh, you want to make sure that and, they're you're doing that. Yeah. And NEPA, and especially our clients, are not there to convince anyone what, one way or the other. It's really to help them understand kind of the challenges that the the agency is looking at and helping them, helping the public understand what the agency is evaluating and then equipping them with the tools that they need to provide the agency with good feedback. Yeah, that makes absolutely. Sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And have you ever had feedback from the public that actually resulted in changes to a project? Oh, certainly. Yeah, I mean... That's one of the things that I don't think people realize when they participate in these projects. If you are providing substantive feedback, it really is considered in the the review process. And I have seen changes made as a result of the comments that have been submitted from the public. The key is that you actually need to provide that data or significant recommendations. You can't just say, I don't like it. because yeah that's not going to result in in any change. And there's actually people who want to hear that you don't like it. That's your congressional representative. But the the environmental planning process is not that, not unfortunately, not that place, because a lot of times the agency is not in a position to stop a project. They're only in the position to make recommendations to reduce those impacts. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could get rid of the... uh... I don't like this comments. That's the, when you get 10,000 comments, like 9,000 of them are almost that. But yeah, it's a very good point. And one other thing that I really like about AvidCore, you know, communications is a ongoing day-to-day process, right? And uh, you guys developed a blog and it totally fits in the spirit of the show, right? Like it's designed to kind of get people insight into who your team is, 
and what your values are. So what was your inspiration for that? How'd you get that started? Yeah, well, <laughs> we wanted to... So we we launched in kind of a frenzy. We had been operating for four months and we knew we needed to start telling people about who we were. So we, we put up our website kind of quickly for a communications firm that specializes in and helping other people develop websites. Uh, we, yeah. we put ours up pretty quickly. And, but we knew that in order to get better search engine results, we needed fresh content. So we came up with the idea of the At Our Core blog, which focuses on who we are as a company, but also what, you know, what we do for our clients. And our hope is that it would attract people who like to work for fun companies like ours, but also that it provides tips and tricks to clients who might be thinking about how they might want to be changing their communications efforts. So the other goal of that blog is to really provide good help for people as well. Yeah, which is just great. So uh, I love it. Keep it up. Don't ever stop. Now that you've started, can't. Um, <laughs> but, uh, before we get you out, we're almost done. But before we get you out of here, I know you're also into moral hunting, which I initially read as moral Morel. hunting. Yeah. So I guess so morale <laughs> hunting, excuse me. And I, I, I was like, oh, so you're hunting for ethical reasons. Like these deer are overpopulated and we've got to do something about it. Right. That's how I, <laughs> uh, that's how I read it. But so what is morale hunting? <laughs> and how did you get into Yeah. It? Okay. So last year during the pandemic, as lockdown was starting, I have two small children and I needed something to do with them. They, at that time they were saying, don't go to playgrounds don't go inside anywhere. I mean, with two small children, you need something to do. So we started doing all of these nature walks. And on one of those nature walks, my daughter points at something on the ground and she's like, what is that? And I was like, oh, that's a mushroom. Don't touch it. (laughs) (laughs) It's yuck. And then, um, and then I was like, but let me, let me, let me make this a learning exercise. So I Googled, Northern Virginia mushrooms. And I saw that it was not just any mushroom, it was a morel. And then I got really excited because I had seen an episode of Bob's Burgers where (laughs) Bob is obsessed with these mushrooms. Yes. And so I started Googling and looking into it. They're super rare. They can't be cultivated. So you can only forage them and they can be, you know, they can go for like $20, $25 a pound. And they've got this great umami flavor. So it's something that can't be easily replicated. So in the culinary world, it's hmm. highly sought after. And I just found it. My daughter just found it. <laughs> like walking down this path. So I forged them, I cooked them up. It was it was great. And now I've been obsessed. It's now again morel season. It, it lasts from March to May. Uh, by the time this airs, it'll probably have been passed if you're in the Northern Virginia region. But it's very exciting. I started foraging and yeah, prime prime season right now. Very excited to hit the trails this weekend. <laughs> nice. That's so great. That's fun. Yeah, they do up here in in Syracuse and Central New York. They forage for lots of different kinds of things and the morels as well. They're kind of like the bell shaped with like a spongy texture or something. Is that the right 
they're yeah honeycomb and what's a yeah, good thing about morels is they're a great starter mushroom because there's there are false morels but they're pretty it's pretty hard to mistake there's not many many mushrooms that look like the morel and um so they're a pretty safe bet if you're if you're foraging for those right okay. good to know yeah i'm always afraid i'm going to pick something and yeah exactly mistake <laughs> yeah right yeah this is deadly <laughs> Well, cool. That's awesome. Well, that's, that's why it was like, yuck. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know. I know. It's the first thought. That's how I feel about most mushrooms. I'm very picky I, well, about yeah. mushrooms. <laughs> it's a texture thing for me. It's like Absolutely. It's, for yeah. sure. So glad to hear it. Maybe I'll brave into trying one this year. I think our morel hunting season is a little bit later. So anyway, that is all the time we have for today. So thank you so much for, for being here with us. Is there anything else that you would like to share or tell people how to get in touch with you before we end? Yeah, thanks for having me. And again, my company is AvidCore. We specialize in communications and outreach. If you are looking at revamping your communication strategy, want to chat about starting a business, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, my contact information is on our site, which is avid-core.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for being here, Amanda. Awesome. Thanks. Amanda. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Bye. All right. Bye. That's our show. I want to thank Amanda Roberts so much for joining us today. It was really good to hear her perspective on public involvement. And it's just a really, really interesting topic. So I'm glad we got to talk to her about that. But please be sure to check us out next Friday. You know, every Friday. We love that you guys are listening. So please check us out. Keep checking us out. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Bye. See you, everybody. <laughs>